0: Some of you may have heard me tell this story when when I experienced my call to ministry. I was in Europe at the time. This was in the days before cell phones, or at least before the general public had cell phones. So I couldn't tell my mom and dad. It, It wasn't until I got back, and even then I didn't have a cell phone, so I was at my aunt's house, and and made a call to my mom and dad to tell them that that I had had this experience uh, while traveling in Europe of God sort of solidifying something I'd known for a while, but that I was called to serve God in ministry to the church. My mom uh, was emotional and said she knew that that's where I was called, and and she did. She told me in college, but I didn't listen. You know, uh, it took me years, a few years to, to figure it out. And then my dad, the first thing he said was, you're not going to be United Methodist, are you? <laughs> now, you have to understand, my mom and dad uh, had been in the, part of the United Methodist Church since I was five years old. So 20 years in the United Methodist Church. My dad had served as chair of the trustees, chair of Staff Parish. He'd been uh, chair of the Ad Council. I mean, he'd been, he'd been in every leadership position that the, that the church had. They were a part of this small church Uh, great kids and and youth programs that they loved the church he loved the church but even with that my dad I think I think what he struggled with was he wasn't sure what he felt about me saying that I would go wherever the bishop would appoint me to match my gifts with the local church giving my life and vocation to the denomination So he asked the question, are you going to be a United Methodist? And I'll admit, it took me completely off guard because I had not even considered there were other options. (laughs) I mean, I'd grown up in the United Methodist Church. It, it It was all I really knew, but now that he asked, it struck me. I wasn't absolutely sure why I was United Methodist, other than the fact that I'd grown up in the church. So, essentially, I began a search. And I, I asked the question, what does it mean to be United Methodist? And then I went and I had a lot of conversations with uh, my United Methodist pastor at the time, my mentor at the time. I had a conversation with the pastor that was the pastor of the church when I was in high school. I had a conversations with the disciples of Christ pastor and a United Church of Christ pastor and a Catholic priest. By the way, that one may be more of the reason that I ended up a United Methodist than any of the others. Uh, and, uh, and an Episcopalian priest and a friend. Uh, spoiler alert, I s- assume you know how the story ends. I, uh, I became a United Methodist pastor. But not simply because I grew up that way. I became a pastor in the United Methodist Church because of the foundation Of the united methodist church the theological foundation the belief foundation the the spiritual foundation of the united methodist church was the foundation where i felt called to to stake my faith so we're gonna look at this question today what does it mean to be united methodist and we won't answer it completely today but But I've heard several people ask that. It's a good time in the life of the church and the life of the United Methodist Church to ask that question and think about what it means. So we're going to start our exploration today. Would you pray with me? God, may your Holy Spirit move in and through these moments ahead for us today. May our minds be opened to what you would have you would have us reflect and think upon. May our ears be open to hear the message you would have for each one of us today. And Lord, may our hearts be open to be filled with your love so that we can go and share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what does it mean to be United Methodist? It means lots of things, really. Um, let's be honest. It means incredible potluck dinners, uh, or in this case, lunches. I just want you to know we're having one today right after the service. Go and get some food. Uh, it's okay if you didn't bring anything. That's the joy of the potluck. There's always enough food, so, uh, so go out and enjoy today. Being United Methodists means being connected to thousands and thousands of churches around the globe, all connected in the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Being United Methodist means serving others, particularly those who are, who are standing with those in the margins. It means not just gathering on Sundays to worship and, and talk about God and the way of Jesus, but to commit one's life to the way of Jesus and showing the fruit of the Spirit by living out that witness. Being United Methodist means being connected in, in service and in mission. It means sharing resources with those thousands and thousands of churches and, and building, building an infrastructure that allows us to be often the first on the ground wherever there is tr- trouble and challenge and tragedy in the world through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR. It means being part of a church where, because those gifts are shared to build the infrastructure, 100% of the other gifts given to UMCOR go straight, straight to assisting people on the ground. All of these are reasons that I am a United Methodist, but there's also a deeper reason a biblical foundation that we're going to explore today. It's really being a United Methodist about an understanding of God and God's love. So some of you know that John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement. It actually began in England and then came over to the United States. John Wesley was a preacher and a teacher in the Church of England. In fact, he never left the Church of England. He didn't set out to start a new denomination. What he set out to do was to, to revive and reform the things going on in the Church of England. it had become a, a church of the rich who just gathered on Sundays and, and paid for the best seat in the house, which I've considered we ought to start charging for the back pews now. Used to be the front. Right, But the church, it it, it had become about something other than than passionately sharing the love of Jesus with everybody. And John Wesley wanted to get back to passionately sharing the love of Jesus with everybody. And so he began a movement. It was a movement grounded in prayer and study and sharing in the sacraments and and going out every day to serve others and, and gathering with a small group to hold each other accountable to living the faith. That movement began and then really spread across the ocean to the the newly minted United States of America. At the heart of that movement, what set it apart from other denominations or other expressions was an understanding about God's grace. And this teaching of, of Wesley about passionately living out that expression of grace. One of the best expressions of this is a is a sermon of John Wesley called The Scripture Way of Salvation. And I thought what better way today to understand that grace that is at the heart of what it means to be a United Methodist than uh than to look at Wesley's sermon, maybe even just preach it. So this is this is John Wesley's sermon. Nothing can be more intricate, complex, and hard to be understood than religion as it has been often described. And this is not only true concerning the religion of the heathens, even many of the wisest of them, but concerning the religion of those also who were, in some sense, Christians. Yea, and men of great name in the Christian world, men who seem to be pillars thereof. Yet how easy to be understood, how plain and simple a thing, is the genuine religion of Jesus Christ, provided only that we take it in in its native form, just as it is described in the oracles of God. It is exactly suited, by the wise creator and governor of the world, to the weak understanding and narrow capacity of man in his present state. How observable is this, both with regard to the end it proposes and the means to attain that end, the end is, in one word, salvation, the means to attend it, faith okay so wesley's queen's english is maybe not the best way to hear this that's kind of what i took as i as i read through the sermon so instead i thought let's summarize this sermon and these teachings of wesley about grace let's look at this biblical foundation that that wesley offers the church wesley's sermon was based in ephesians 2 Um, and this is the this is the first 10 verses of that chapter the foundation of Wesley's understanding. We begin in verse 4. Notice in verse 4, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, Wesley believed that God's grace is always pursuing us even before we know it. He called this prevenient grace, which is really just a a fancy way to say the grace that comes before. Prevenient means to come before. Prevenient grace is the grace that comes before. In opposition for Wesley to some who said that that some aren't destined to be saved by God, some said that that there are some people who who, who who whose God's grace isn't going to reach. Wesley said, no, 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 no. God's salvation is available to all, to every single person. Every single human being is made in God's image. Prevenient grace is the grace that's trying to lure us all into that love of God. Have you ever heard somebody talk about God incidences? God-incidences, I like to think of, they're like coincidences, but coincidences that, that lead us in the direction we're supposed to be going or, or in, in the direction that God wants us to go. God-incidences. It's those moments that when you look back, you realize that God was luring you, God was at work in your life. Maybe you've been through a really difficult time and, and it felt really lonely in the moment, but when you looked back, you realized, wait, people had reached out to me in that time, God was at work in my life in ways that I didn't even know it. This, this is prevenient grace. Maybe you've, maybe you've experienced an addiction in your life, and you've come through to the other side, and, and you realize that that God was at work in your life in ways trying to, to lure you out of that addiction and back to God in ways that you you couldn't see and you didn't know at the time. This is prevenient grace. Wesley would sometimes talk about this like the, the porch of a house. It's not up front, all to see. Anybody can come up to the porch. Everybody is welcome on the porch. It's inviting, it's, it's welcoming. We may not know who lives inside, but there's something about that porch that draws us to want to step up and begin conversations. At this address. Right, Wesley believed that God's grace prepares us, it lures us, it's, it's always at work. When I was in seminary, one of the questions that would often nag at me was like, if somebody somewhere in the world didn't know Jesus, because The church had never reached them or maybe had reached them but turned them away from Jesus. How could it be possible that God would would punish them eternally or that they would be damned for eternity? Provenient grace was this moment of recognizing, wait, it's not mine to judge and God's grace is already at work in that life. After seminary, my first appointment in the church. I was called one day to the, to the hospital. There was a, a couple. Um, they weren't part of our church at the time, but their, um, their mom was part of our church. They'd had a baby, uh, per- seemed perfectly healthy. Everything was great, took the baby home. And uh, I don't remember, two, three weeks in, but um, there were GI problems and, um, and the baby was back in the NICU and it did not look good. It was my first visit to a NICU. I walked in, and I don't know if you've ever been in one, but the baby was in a in a carrier, and and there were tubes and and monitors, and uh, and the couple was was there, and I, I sat down and visited with them, and and they said, we asked here at the hospital if somebody could baptize the baby, and they said no. Um, I, uh, and I, I don't remember all of the reasons exactly, but w- for whatever reason, the chaplain that was on at the moment said that it wasn't uh, life or death in that moment. And so, by his faith, he wouldn't baptize that child. And they're like, We, we just want to know if anything happens that our baby will be with God. And I was able to sit down with them and say, Do you know what? We believe in this thing called prevenient grace. It's grace that comes before. This grace is already at work in in your child's life. God loves your baby just like you love your baby. And God is going to be with that baby and with you every step of the way. Baptism isn't necessary for God's love to be at work in your baby's life. God is already at work. Baptism is just a sign for us to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, an important step, but, but not one that, that is necessary for God's love to be at work. We talked a little bit more. They decided, as I, I'd said, you know, baptism then incorporates you into the family of God, and, and they asked if I'd come back the next day, and I brought a church member, and we had a couple of family members. I'm not sure the doctors and nurses were so thrilled with the number of people in the room, but uh, we baptized that little guy. And I know not all stories have happy endings, but for this couple, they were in church maybe uh, maybe eight to nine months later with the little guy now a little over one, and, uh, and we were able to remember his baptism in front of the whole congregation as they became part of the church family. Provenient grace at work. We pick up Ephesians again because that's, Not the only expression of grace that helps define who we are as United Methodists. Notice what it says next, right? It already said, by grace you have been saved, but then it says this, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is one of those places where it's easy in translations to miss notice the tense of the verbs in this section you have been saved not you will be saved future tense right what the church in ephesus hears of of god's love is that you have been saved Salvation of God isn't something we have to wait for until we get to heaven. It's not just some future hope. It happens in the here and now when we say yes to allowing God's love to flow into our lives. And not just that, it says you are raised up and seated with Christ. Again, not future tense. It's something that happens now in our life when we accept God's love And grace in our lives, as soon as we do that, we're moved to this higher plane of existence where we can see with God's eyes and we can see what God is doing in and around us. Wesley, he called this moment justifying grace, right? This is the moment we say yes to knowing the love of Jesus Christ as our Savior, and in that moment, Regardless of what's gone on in our past, regardless of the path that we've been on, we're drawn into right relationship with God. Justifying grace. It brings us away from our sins. It frees us from our sins. It frees us from the ways of the world that we've been sticking to and brings us into the way of Christ. Ephesians goes on to say this, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Being united Methodist means we know a grace that redeems us. In the moment we say yes, we don't have to earn it. In fact, there's nothing we can do to earn it. The grace is already there. God is is already there just waiting for us to turn back into God's love. For Wesley, he described this as the doorway, right? You've come up on the porch. God's lured you up onto the the porch. And there's this doorway, and and you're invited to go through it and experience all the best of what God has to offer. And then once we've stepped through the doorway, it leads us to one more part of what it means to be United Methodists, our understanding of of God's grace, a, a third expression of God's grace. You see, John Wesley was, was struck by some who declared to know Jesus as their Savior, but nothing changed in their lives. No observable mark in their lives. And he also knew that, that some people would, would claim to know Jesus, would have that moment of conversion in their lives, but then they'd later backslide into sins. For Wesley... And for us, as, as, you, as United Methodists, there had to be something more. And, and so Wesley would say this, that saying yes to Jesus is not the end goal. Saying yes to Jesus is incredibly important, but it's not the end goal because once we say yes to Jesus, once we find ourselves seated with Jesus, then there's this invitation to live In that salvation and to bring that good news to others. There's an invitation to participate in what God is doing. Ephesians says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, salvation in our United Methodist understanding isn't something that we attain and then we just sit back and wait for heaven. It's like, oop, I'm saved. Good luck, world. I've got it made. No, instead, knowing God's grace invites us into our new identity as God's children. It makes a difference in how we live. Wesley called this sanctifying grace. Just a a fancy way of saying we being made more holy. It's the grace that makes us more and more holy. This is the gift that we get to grow each and every day into becoming more Christ-like. If we choose to live in God's grace every day, then God's grace, it continually shapes us. And through us, it continually shapes the world around us. Sometimes I hear people say, it doesn't matter what you believe. I think what we're often saying is that it's important to respect everyone's beliefs, and that's very much true, but I think it does matter what we believe. Wesley would say it matters what we believe about grace. That's what makes us United Methodist, because what we believe about God's grace affects how we live and who we are. What does it mean to be United Methodist? It means that we believe in this grace and, and knowing and living by a grace of God that lures us and frees us and make us, makes us more Christ-like. It means not deciding that once we know Jesus, we've got it made, but, or, or waiting for God's kingdom after death, but seeking to share God's grace and, and living into God's kingdom in the here and now. Being united Methodist means rooting ourselves in a community, for us, this community of God's grace where we can hold each other accountable and grow together. Ephesians 2 has this easily missed feature. If you read it in the in lots of different translations, there's this word that for whatever reason doesn't get translated as, a, as its literal meaning. In verse 1 and 10, There's the word peripateo, and you can forget that part. It's a, you know, fancy Greek word, but it means walking. Ephesians 1 moves from walking in the ways of the world to walking in the ways of God. This is the grace we believe in. It moves us from walking in the waves of the world, sometimes in ways we can't even see, to getting right with God, and then walking in the ways of Christ. To be United Methodist means to always be moving from walking in the ways of the world to walking in the way of Christ. Sometimes we'll falter, but it means always being part of a community that draws us back to walking toward God instead of walking away from God. It means walking with an eye to God's grace at work and a desire to participate in God's kingdom building. Being United Methodist means we're always asking the question, which way are you walking? Let me invite you to continue to explore what it means to be United Methodist with me. This is the foundation, our, our understanding of grace, but there's so much more to the rich expressions of what it means to be part of Clay Church, of a part of the United Methodist Church. You can visit umc.org or um, and explore the Who We Are tab there if you want to want to know more, or I want to invite you starting not this coming Monday, but a week from Monday. I'm going to be leading a a course called Methodist Matters to so be online for three weeks on Monday nights at seven o'clock. You'll be sent a Zoom link. I uh, figured that was a, a convenient way to for us to to gather and, and to talk more about what it means to be United Methodist. And then whether you are here today and <clears throat> you're still searching, whether you're here today in right relationship, whether you're here today seeking to grow. Let me just pray for you. Let's pray. God, God, we give thanks for your grace as you showed it to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, I I just pray today for those those that are searching for something missing in their lives, who... have felt your, your nudges but aren't sure, we just, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to, to work and to guide and that that we as, as people will be open to follow where the Spirit leads and to keep offering the invitation to join us on the porch of your house, of your witness, of your love. And God, for those that are ready today to say, "I I want to know this grace, I want to be transformed by it, I just invite us to say, yes, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, transform me, help me to live in this love and goodness that you offer. And Lord, for us, those of us who have said yes, may your grace guide us to continue to seek you, to continue to, to turn from, from sins and those things that draw us away from you. May we continue to put you first in our lives so that we might be more Christ-like, better witnesses to Christ and the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.